My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to Episode 4 of Season 5 of the 21st Century Creative. Regular listeners will already be familiar with Joanna Penn, a best-selling thriller author and creative entrepreneur who's appeared on the show twice before, talking about mindset for creatives and how to be a healthy creative. I'm delighted to welcome her back today to talk about productivity and audio for creatives, two subjects that I think have recently become a lot more relevant due to coronavirus. Joanna is a good friend of mine who lives in Bath, just down the road from me in Bristol. In normal times, we meet up for a coffee every few weeks to talk creativity and business and generally set the world to rights. But as we weren't allowed to meet in person, one of the first things we did when lockdown started was to meet for a virtual coffee on Zoom and try to make sense of the new reality. And Think about what we could do to help our fellow creatives find their way forward. One thing we did was record a conversation for Joanna's podcast, The Creative Pen, where she interviewed me about how to stay creative in difficult times. You can find that on The Creative Pen podcast or by following the link 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash stay creative. I also asked Joanna to come back to The 21st Century Creative to share her thoughts on the challenges we face as creatives in the age of COVID, as well as her latest two books for creatives. So, this is the one episode of Season 5 where you get my guest's thought, as well as my own, about how we can respond to the pandemic. And as Joe is so interested in futurism, she gives us a glimpse of how the current pandemic might shape the future landscape for creators. I also want to give Joanna credit for inspiring me to start a Patreon membership here at the 21st Century Creative. She's been doing this for many years at her own podcast, The Creative Pen. So if you're an author, you should definitely check out Joanna's membership at patreon.com slash thecreativepen, and that's pen with a double N. Before we get to the interview, I'm afraid I have some very sad news to share. Way back in season one, I recorded an interview with my voice teacher, Kristen Linklater, at her voice centre up in the Orkney Islands off the north coast of Scotland. And I'm very sad to say that earlier this summer, Kristen passed away. Altogether, I spent two weeks working with Kristen. I did her Freeing the Natural Voice foundation course first, And then I went back to do her Shakespeare course because she was a world-renowned expert on how to speak and perform Shakespearean verse. She worked with lots and lots of the top Shakespearean actors. It's actually really hard for me to describe the impact that Kristin had on me. It went way beyond a great training course. I would say that as a poet whose voice is inseparable from my art... Working with Kristen was one of the most profound experiences of my life. 
She described her work as connecting your voice, which is your true self, your imagination, with your speech, which is the sound you make through the physical apparatus of the body. Well, (laughs) she certainly did that for me. When speaking poetry, I feel like she plugged my speech into the emotional energy of the words, so that now, when I read poems aloud, I feel the poem in my bones, and it's made a huge difference to how the poem sounds. Not only that, I find the more I work with Kristin's methods for speaking poetry, the easier it is for me to write poetry because of that connection between the voice and the speech. So when I heard Kristen had passed away, I felt a huge sense of loss. And it felt like this was not just on a personal level, because I knew that someone had gone from the world who had, sorry, who had a unique and irreplaceable gift. And I realised how lucky I was to have worked with her and how glad I was that I'd made it a priority to travel to Orkney when I had plenty of other seemingly seemingly important things to do. I also realised how lucky I was that I'd recorded the interview with Kristen and I was able to share it with you. And of course, one of the magical things about talking to a great voice artist and teacher is that on that recording you can hear all the different tones and resonances in her voice as she speaks. So if you haven't heard that interview yet, then I encourage you to go back and do so. And when I thought of that interview, when I got the news, I felt sad all over again because because I realised that conversation was the last time I saw Kristen. It was at the end of the week, we'd finished the Shakespeare course, and on the Saturday morning we had some time before we caught the plane, which was when we recorded the interview. And then when it was finished, I gave her a hug and said goodbye, and got in the minibus and got the plane home, and I didn't realise I would never see her again. So, (laughs) I must admit, I haven't been brave enough yet to listen to that interview again, but I will do soon. And there is some good news that I want to share as well, because Kristen's team are determined that her work will continue at the centre in Orkney. Part of her legacy to us is a network of designated Linklater voice teachers all around the globe. And her vision, which the team are now putting into action, is for teaching to continue at the Linklater Voice Centre with a rotating team of teachers. Oh, and the centre, by the way, is quite extraordinary. It's on a hillside in a spectacularly beautiful part of Orkney, with a big voice studio where we work, with enormous windows looking out on the landscape and the seascape and all the weather that crosses that during the day. And there's also an amazing kitchen, dining room and living room combined, with a log stove and a wine cellar, So in the evenings, you can feast and drink like Vikings. And we've even been known to sing a bit like Vikings too, after a glass or two. So anyway, it's an amazing centre with a rich tradition and team of teachers. And, you know, it's the kind of work that is valuable if you do anything at all with your voice. 
professionally or creativity. If you're an actor, if you're a poet or a singer, or you speak in some way or you use your voice maybe for podcasting or whatever, and I would say it really is, the Linklater work is an absolutely transformative process. I recommend wholeheartedly anybody who wants to use their voice in a more creative and authentic and expressive way, uh, to me, I, I feel very lucky I had the chance to do this. And so to make the vision happen and to continue Kristen's work, her team have launched an appeal for funding. Firstly, to help the centre weather the coronavirus storm, because obviously like they've had months of not being out allowed to run live workshops, and also as well to set the centre up to be sustainable for the future. So, personally, I was very glad to contribute to the fund. And if you have worked with Kristin or you've been touched by her work and you would like to contribute too, you can find the link on the homepage at linklatervoice.com or just by searching for the Kristin Linklater appeal on GoFundMe. And like I say, I was very lucky to record a wonderful interview with Kristin back in season one. So, um, if you haven't heard that yet, do go back and have a listen to it. It's one of the ones I'm most grateful to have done on this show ever. When I was a boy, I was obsessed with football. For international listeners... Football here in the UK is a game played with the feet and a ball. It's known in some other places as soccer. At that age, I lived to play football. The moment the school bell rang for break time, I rushed out with my friends and started playing. And by the end of break time, we'd be so lost in our game, the teachers often had to call us several times before we heard them. Then when we got home, the first thing my brother and I did was get changed and run straight back out again to kick a ball around the street with our friends. Every season, I watched the games on TV, I collected the stickers in my Panini album, I got the replica kits for Christmas and birthdays, but nothing beat actually kicking a ball around ourselves. Then there was the time I was ill and I had to stay in the house. It was nothing serious. I can't even remember what it was. But I do remember that it kept me away from school for over a week. As the days dragged by, I looked out at the sunshine and imagined my friends playing football. And I felt very sorry for myself indeed. So I can vividly remember my return to school when I recovered. I'll never forget that first PE lesson after my return. PE was even better than break time because it meant we weren't just kicking a ball around the tarmac playground, but playing on grass in full kit with our boots on. It was a perfect day. The sun was shining and it felt so good to be rushing about in the fresh air kicking the bright white ball, seeing it bounce and chasing after it and thumping it up the pitch. I was elated. But as the game went on, I was surprised to see my teammates didn't seem to be enjoying it as much as I was. 
As usual, we were fiercely competitive, and as usual, there were some contentious refereeing decisions. Heated arguments erupted. (laughs) Once or twice, the game even stopped when someone picked up the ball and refused to play on. Even when it resumed afterwards, both sides kept holding grudges and arguing. Now, even at that age, I had a dim realisation that this was not exceptional. There were always arguments during games, and if I hadn't had that enforced break, I would probably be joining in the arguments myself. But as I stood there, looking at the beautiful sun and sky and grass, and my friends dressed in bright colours with the ball at our feet, I saw how silly and petty the arguments looked. Can't you see? I wanted to say to them. It doesn't matter. We're playing football. Because right then, I saw clearly what a miracle it was that we were playing football together in the sunshine on a day that would never come again. And my heart was bursting with joy at the wonder of it all. But I didn't say anything because I couldn't put it into words. And I knew it wouldn't make sense to the others, even if I did. For some reason, that day kept coming back into my mind during lockdown. Because for several weeks, the whole world was cooped up and kept away from our friends and the games we liked to play together. So when I saw friends on Twitter fantasising about how glorious it would be to just sit in a cafe and drink coffee or have a pint in a pub, or a meal in a restaurant, or go to the theatre, or a nightclub, or a football match. I thought of a young boy sitting at home, looking out at a brilliant blue sky, and wishing with all his heart he could be with his friends again. And of course, reality rarely matches up to the fantasy. Adults are just as bad as children at bickering and moaning and holding grudge and ignoring the simple joy of being with friends and family. So I'm in no doubt that all of the usual arguments will resume as quickly as we're able to pick up our lives in whatever version of normal will still be available to us. But one wish I have for our future is that this enforced period of separation will help us to appreciate each other just a bit more. So that when we do meet up, then we can really see each other and the precious time we have together for the miracle it really is. And my wish is that we will all see this together at the same time. Not like my younger self, who felt like a helpless bystander watching his friends squabbling, but that we will all see it together and appreciate each other all the more and start to treat each other better. If you're enjoying the 21st Century Creative... You may like to know there is more to this podcast than meets the ear. To help you succeed in your creative career or business, I've created an in-depth program, the 21st Century Creative Foundation Course. 
It covers the personal and professional skills you'll need to succeed as a creative professional in the 21st century. In other words, the stuff they probably didn't teach you at art school, on your creative writing masters, or wherever else you learned your craft. Things like how to manage your time, how to communicate your ideas, how to handle difficult conversations, how to close a sale, how to deal with money, how to grow your network, and how to attract an audience for your work. Altogether, there are 26 lessons in the course, full of practical advice, plus a worksheet for each one to help you put the ideas into practice. And I'm giving you the entire course for free. In case you can't quite believe your ears, go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course and see for yourself. When you get there, you can sign up with just an email address and you'll get your first lesson right away. By the way, the course has already been taken by over 11,000 students. And on the sign-up page, you'll see lots of testimonials from other creatives whose lives and careers have been changed by the course. You can join them right now for free by going to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course. Joanna Penn is an award-nominated New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of thrillers and dark fantasy, which she writes under the name J.F. Penn. She's also known for dispensing information and inspiration for authors and creatives via her popular podcast, The Creative Pen, and her books and courses on all different aspects of writing, creating, and business for authors. As I said earlier, this is the only interview in season five that was recorded after COVID arrived on the scene. Next season, I should have plenty of insight and perspective on the situation for my guests. But for now, Joanna is the only guest in season five who's offering her perspective on the situation. And I think we're very lucky to have her because she's always leaning into the future, exploring new technologies and trends, so she's a great person to have in your corner at a time like this. And she's got some really valuable insights into what we as creatives should be focused on going forward. We also talked about Joanna's two latest non-fiction books, Productivity for Authors and Audio for Authors. Now, both of these were written were obviously written before COVID arrived on the scene. But as I say to Joe in the interview, I think they're both very timely in the new reality for different reasons. Starting with the productivity book, it's been a real eye-opener to see how millions of people are suddenly having to adapt to new ways of working, taking more responsibility for their time and their productivity as they work remotely. And Joanna's book is full of great advice on this subject. Because, like most authors... She's been doing this for years, working alone in her home office and her local cafe and producing 33 books as well as hundreds of podcast episodes and blog posts and a whole range of e-learning courses. So, clearly, Joanna's productivity advice works. As I always say with her books when she comes on this show, the cover states they're written for authors, but 90% of the advice applies to all kinds of creatives. 
So whatever your discipline, you'll find this conversation and the books very relevant to your situation. Joe's second book, Audio for Authors, is a really interesting and unusual topic. Because there are plenty of books that talk about creating specific things like audiobooks or podcasts, but this is the first one I've come across that takes a strategic look at what audio as a medium can do for your creative career or business. And let's face it, with conference venues, theatres and other spaces for connecting with people having taken a massive hit recently, it's more important than ever that we as creatives find new ways to reach our audiences. And Joanna makes a compelling case for using audio to do this. Again, whether or not you're an author or another type of creative. As you'll hear in this interview, Joanna practices what she preaches about being in an engaging and inspiring presence in an audio recording, which is why her previous interviews have been among the most popular episodes of the 21st Century Creative. I'm sure you'll find this one just as useful as the others as we gear up for the challenges ahead. Welcome back, Joanna. Oh, thanks for having me back on the show, Mark. This is always fun. And goodness me, how the world has changed since you were last on the show. I mean, who would have guessed? I know, it's, it is crazy times. And I feel like where we are now as we record this, I've been through the roller coaster of emotion and I know everybody will have had their own journey through the pandemic. I mean, we're not even through it yet. But it's so interesting how this has affected our work and our personal lives, obviously. And even if we've made it through health-wise, it's changing so much. So this is definitely a time for resilience, which I know you know a lot about. Yeah. And, you know, you're somebody with the, obviously you've got your own experience as a writer, but you're also, you've got the finger on the pulse of the writing community. What, I mean, is it too early for you to identify any big changes that you're noticing for authors and maybe creatives in a wider sense? Well, I think in a, in a business sense, what is incredibly interesting is how fast everyone is changing their business models. So of course, traditional publishing with books in physical bookstores basically decimated from the beginning, middle of March, middle of March, April into May, uh, definitely massive impact. So many publishers are reinventing themselves with um, more digital sales, uh, more audio, which will come back to um, subscription models, which they've put off for years. Uh, Mm -hmm. So definitely that's happening uh, selling direct is something I've been personally doing. So I've obviously done digital sales, you know, like like you for, for, for a decade, but selling direct to an audience through an email list and just not caring about ranking or anything like that, just caring about protecting cash flow in a, t- in a difficult time when cash flow is important to help our families and uh, keep the bills paid. <laughs> so I think what's interesting is how fast we can pivot if things are difficult and the resilience again of the digital business model is pretty incredible I think Um, and something we want to keep 
creating. That is what we want to do. So how do we do that in difficult times, both both through the, the productive methods, but also how do we sell our work so we can keep doing this? And um, I, I think I've, I've just been very encouraged by how the business model for an independent author works uh, in, in this new world. Um, we've also seen countries that have been resistant to digital. So France, Spain, Italy, uh, they are, are like 150% growth in ebooks and audiobook listening uh, over the last oh, really? Yeah, it, which is, and it's been so frustrating for many years, these countries who've resisted digital. But it seems like mm-hmm. this pandemic is helping people recognize that ebooks and audiobooks are not the devil. You can love print books, but you can also love the speed and the cleanliness of a, a digital file. I'd also say libraries, um, you know, for author, for independent authors, libraries have been difficult because they have really focused on traditionally published books. But now with libraries going digital, uh, you know, we're all seeing a lot more library borrows for ebooks and audiobooks uh, across library apps, which we can be in. So I really think the business models are changing in this time. And I don't believe we're going to go back 100% to how they were. Yeah, I was listening to somebody, I think it was on James Altucher's podcast the other day who was saying that he didn't think COVID had changed any trends, but it had accelerated a lot of them, which sounds like what you're describing there. Yes, absolutely. And automation as well, uh, artificial intelligence, all of these things are accelerating fast because people are realizing, right, what do we need to do so that if this happens again, um, you know, when they're saying it is likely to <laughs> in different forms over time, how do we make sure we can carry on with our business? For example, um, you know, and also people working from home. How do we now shift that into the world of work? And this might change completely places like London and New York, where people suddenly realise maybe they don't have to live in a big city anymore. Maybe they can actually live somewhere cheaper and still work in the same way. So, uh, you know, business models are are changing. People are shifting their views. Even like uh, speaking, you and I both speak. Uh, I've been, um, we've done podcasting, but this is not speaking like on a stage. But what I've been to is a couple of, of, um, conferences which were meant to be physically live and the online tools that are now available for the different type of online presenting ha- you know they've really matured and I went to one conference the other day and it was just incredible and I realized that I need to upskill in the more formal presentation style of doing it online mm-hmm. and actually that could mean I could do more speaking because I don't have to travel so yes it's definitely accelerated these different trends Trends. And we're, I think we're going to see so many changes because the investment is there to make the changes for the future. And so I've been thinking about your two most recent books for creatives. You've got Productivity for Authors and Audio for Authors. And, you know, we talked about doing this interview before COVID landed, but actually I think they're even more relevant now in a COVID-infected world for different reasons. So I'd like to start with the productivity for authors. And as usual with your books, you write them for authors, but most of the content is going to be relevant to most types of creatives. So um, if you don't mind, I'd like to do our usual thing of retitling it. So this is productivity (laughs) for creatives. And right now I'm thinking there's maybe two, I'd, I'd like to get your take on this. I think possibly there's two different readerships for a book like this at this point. So firstly, there's 
the people like you and me and many of our listeners who are already independent-minded creators who want to take control of our time and being creative and productive as we can. Uh, we're probably used to working from home or at least by ourselves. Um, and we're probably more motivated than most people to do that. And then secondly, you've got all these people who are suddenly finding that they've got to work on their own. It's got to be they, they can't go into the office, so they're having to find ways to to structure their time independently. I mean, have you noticed an upsurge in demand for productivity advice since the lockdown started? Oh, I think in that first week, uh, I actually did a YouTube video on tips for working from home. <laughs> so, you know, everybody did yeah. that first week, yeah. you know, sort of end of March, there were so many tip things about working from home. What's interesting, I think, at this point is, and I've actually noticed it as well, is, is the physical pain of working from home based on your workstation. And this is this is very important to productivity. Physical health, obviously, we're assuming you're not actually sick. But what's happened with a lot of people suddenly working from home a lot more? And even if you are a creative used to working at home, you're probably doing it a heck of a lot more than you were. <laughs> so what you're, yeah. I mean, I'm working harder than ever because there's little else yeah. to do. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> um, what's interesting is if you you, so if you're new to working at home, you probably have a laptop and you probably just put it on your kitchen table. Or if you're lucky enough, you have a, a desk or even your own room, although many people don't have their own room. But um, what you'll find is you're going to get back pain and neck pain and all this type of thing. So one of my first tips, and even if you work in a cafe, usually, which I do, is I take along, um, you know, a little folding stand called a neck stand, N-E-X-T-A-N-D. Mm -hmm. And it's tiny, it's, you know, portable. And you could just use that on your kitchen table. And that immediately helps your posture. I actually think the first week with all those tips, probably people were fine. But now, as you and I speak, we're kind of over a month in, a month and a half in, and people are going to be in real pain. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah I, and the, we, you can't go to the, the physio or the chiropractor, can you? Exactly. And maybe you're doing some online yoga. Um, I've certainly been doing some, but definitely, and, and even now, you know, I've been doing a lot more standing. I'm at a standing desk as we speak. And I, I'm, I've been getting a lot more lower back pain because I'm not uh, maintaining my usual physical practices, which are, I, I'm still walking the, the one hour a day, but I'm not getting my longer walks because that's kind of frowned upon in, in our uh, country where we're recording this. And also I'm not going to yoga. So um, there are lots of things that I think productivity around physical health. So if people listening, just take a bit of an inventory of your physical health right now. And, you know, how's your posture and your shoulders and your spine and um, what could help around that physical side. And then I think the other thing is, if you are an independent already and you're, and you're, already doing this full time, like like you and I, um, then maybe you have a creative groove that has been worn for years. So, and you and I have talked about this on my show, is that I would go to the cafe, I would put my headphones on, play uh, Rain and Thunderstorms, and that's how I write. And I, I was yeah. kind of, uh, I couldn't work on my novel for weeks when this first started because I couldn't go to my cafe. I couldn't put on my, well, I could put on my headphones, but those that sound was associated with that place. And and, and I mm -hmm. had kind of boxed myself into this scenario of creation where I I couldn't do anything because I couldn't get back to my ritual. And both of us have talked about the importance of ritual for creative work and, you know, getting into your zone, getting into your mindset. But the, prob yeah. the problem is if, if that is related to something that you can't do anymore, <laughs> <laughs> you have to shift it up. I mean, even yeah. I know... 
uh, people well, like yourself, you know, are used to being at home without the children or without their partner. And suddenly there's a house full of people um, and it, things have changed. Like whatever your life is like at home, things have changed. So what you have to do is find your new creative groove and figure out a new way that you can get back to that zone. And actually it's a challenge, but it's good because it proves to you that you can change your habit. So um, I, after we talked, um, I started listening to Game of Thrones soundtrack, which is fan- mm-hmm. the, the instrumental version, which is fantastic. Now I write thrillers, so it's pretty good soundtrack for that. But I was able to finish my novel um, within a couple of weeks of changing the soundtrack and also just literally turning everything off. I'm still at my desk where I am standing right now, but I turned all the screens off, you know, moved everything out of the way, put on my headphones and put on this new soundtrack and it and it worked. And now I'm in the editing mode. But doing that proved to me that I could change my creative um, groove as such and come up with a new one. So I challenge people listening as well, uh, you know, maybe that's something you can do to change up your writing, your creative process. And in fact, maybe that's a good thing to do anyway. And who knows what you can create if you change things up a bit. So, and I haven't spoken to you since I've thought about this, but now I'm thinking, what else can I change? If I can change such an embedded habit, what else can I change? So for example, I'm a discovery writer. I write into the dark. Some people call us pantsers, which I hate. Um, but, <laughs> uh, so discovery writer, I sit down and I just write stuff. Um, but I, I really want to be a plotter. I really do. And so, well, why can't I do that now? Why can't I learn? Why can't I change my process? Or maybe some people on productivity, you and I both do a bit of dictation, but I don't do enough. And the reason I don't do enough is because I'm a discovery writer. So if I can plot, maybe I can dictate more. Maybe I can create all the stories I want to faster. And so that's exciting to me. So I am, I feel quite released, actually. I feel like, wow, okay, I can change my habits and that is that's powerful stuff so a plotter just for the for the non-authors in the in the audience so that that's someone who plots out the story before they write it rather than just going you know discovering it word by word is is that right yeah so someone who knows um you know i generally know a character and a place and something but i i won't know what happens during the story i might not know how it's going to end <laughs> so generally right, right. Okay. you know whereas a plotter will sit down and say okay this is the structure of the story they will know the end they will they might write a few sentences per chapter or someone like jeffrey diva for example um a mystery thriller writer will write sort of 40 pages uh of outline james patterson also massive outliner so some of the most successful writers are plotters although stephen king is a discovery writer so uh, and what i would say to people is there is no right way to do your creative process but what if there are ways to challenge ourselves to get ourselves out of ways that could be done better i guess sort of not optimizing in a we must be productive way but in an interesting playful creative manner yeah, I think this is great. And I love the way you've taken one change and taken it as a cue to look for another change. So you you changed your writing routine. You you came up with a new routine, a new way of getting into the, the flow of your writing. And now you're thinking, well, maybe I can change some of the higher level patterns in my creative process. And I think, you know, if there is a silver lining from this whole <laughs> pandemic business and 
we I think we do deserve one, then my wish would be that we all come out of it with more choices than we went in. Because I think whether you're an individual creative or you're a company, lots of people are realizing, you know what, we don't have to go back to work the way we used to. And I, I have been changing up my business model too. So it's re- really coming down to what is working and what can I just get rid of? Because now I realize I've got some perspective. And another thing I've done is I was doing quite big uh, online courses. And now I'm just doing smaller ones. So mini courses or lectures charging less, but they're selling a lot more. So I'm actually making more income from courses since I made that change just in March. I just went, right, I'm just going to do a small course every month. And that is getting people, more people into them. So people listening, Many, many creatives teach online, uh, teaching online courses, doing little, little ones might be better than the sort of mega, hmm. mega course. Uh, the other thing is I realized um, on the day that I was like, I've got to make some money. I've got, I've got to protect the business. It was the email list. And you, you and I know this, but it was, I felt it so deeply that one of my best assets is my email list. And of course, the podcast, but there are lots of people listening to the podcast who are not on our email list. Hello, everyone. We love you. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) you know, we we can actually talk to people on our email list by pressing a button and, you know, not everyone will open it. But there were days when I could send out an email and make income on days when I needed it because I had that list. And it just reiterated to me how important the email list is. So that's another tip for people. What can you do in your creative work and your creative business so that you can take the the best stuff and double down on that and then maybe forget about the the stuff that just doesn't need doing. Just let it go. <laughs> so, you know, this is a distinction you've got in the productivity book, right, between busy work and important work. And I guess maybe now, now for all of us, the the line has changed between what seemed important before and, and what is important now. I mean, what? how would you encourage people to look at that distinction? Oh, it's, it's so true. And I think, well, one thing I did is I wrote, uh, you know, you have that moment where you think, okay, I could die. Um, I mean, obviously, we're all going to die. <laughs> but you know, I could die of this disease next week or something. And what would I just be really annoyed at if I didn't do before I died? Like, that's yeah, how, how yeah, I thought about yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm pretty, I'm very happy with my life. You know, I'm a full-time author and everything. But what, what would I be annoyed at? And I actually wrote down two things. So I'm, I am an award-nominated writer, but I want to win a prize. I want to be an award-winning writer. <laughs> and, and my you other, have that on your gravestone. Yeah, I do. I want, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be, Mark. You know how these things work. Um, but then... I know. I know. <laughs> The other one I wrote down was Walk the Camino Frances, which if people don't know, it's a a pilgrimage from southern France across northern Spain to Santiago de Compostela. I've wanted to do it for 25 years. It's just it's a six week walk. So it's one of those things. Um, So I have a artistic goal and I have a physical goal. And we all know with goals, right? These things, it's really difficult to on the prize. Who knows? It's, it's a, it could be a lifetime in getting there. But both of these things, who who will I become in aiming for these goals? And when I wrote those two things down, it really brought into focus the things that I want to do with my time and the things I don't. And I had a whole load of um, non-fiction projects on my list for the rest of the year. And I have actually moved them off my list to focus on my fiction because I need to keep 
being a better writer, keep learning, keep um, bettering my craft, you know. So this is something that I think is important for people. You know, have you identified those things (laughs) that you really want to do before you die? And then who do you have to become to achieve those things? And uh, yeah, and then what's the next step in that direction towards these things? So I have put aside some stuff that I thought was important and now I'm not. Or for example, um, one of the other things, I have another podcast. So I have two podcasts um, and one is called Books and Travel. And when this all happened and travel became not something we do <laughs> right now, I was like, <laughs> oh, oh dear, that whole brand that has to go, you know, I can't, I can't do that. There's no point. And then I realized that that podcast completely underpins my fiction I love doing it I love talking about travel with writers and all my books are about sense of place so all I've done is repurpose the uh, intro and outro to point to my fiction instead of a new brand and I'm doubling down on Joe Francis Penn JF Penn which is my my fiction side so I'm retooling what I already have to serve that bigger goal. And all of these things have just come from saying, what is the most important thing to me? What do I want to do to build the body of work that I will look back on and go, yeah, that is what I wanted to do. Um, Again, you know, super powerful to, to examine this stuff. Yeah, nothing quite focuses the mind like the prospect of one's own mortality, does it? <laughs> yeah, the memento mori moment. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I was talking to Gabriella Pereira about this yesterday. For her, She's doing a, a virtual writers conference. And one of the things that came to mind for me was, well, I don't want to die without ha- having written that book. And, you know, I think a lot of writers have got a sense that that book, that's the book I'm going to write, even if I can't articulate exactly what it is. There is a book that I want to write before I, you know, shuffle off the mortal coil. So... And I mean, there are nonfiction books I want to write. So I want to write a travel memoir and I want to write a book about the shadow, uh, which I know you appreciate the shadow side. Um, But those to me are different to the sort of how-to books. I'm really happy with my how-to books. I I do have some more in me, (laughs) but I feel Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, when I look at what I really want to achieve and that's what we've got to think about, isn't it? And, you know, figuring out what what you what you will give up to make time for the most important thing and at the moment we do all have a bit of time to sit at home and the the other surprising thing is how little money we're spending right <laughs> yep <laughs> and then you think okay well okay so maybe i don't need so much to live on so does that actually give me more space hmm. and again this reinvention of work maybe somebody listening has realized that they could move somewhere a lot cheaper and suddenly save themselves, you know, a couple of grand a month. And that is the thing that frees them up to follow the creative path that might change their life. And that's how I did it. You know, when I decided to become a full-time writer, we sold the house, we moved um, to a, you know, from a four bedroom house to a one bedroom flat and downsized and moved. And sometimes we need this push, don't we? We do. So, I mean, a lot of what I'm getting from you is a lot of this is about decisions. You know, we think of productivity as being about what we do, but a lot of it is about what we don't do. And it's it's drawing the line between one and another. And talking of which, there's a chapter in the productivity book about saying no and setting boundaries. And I'm thinking, you know, coming right down to earth again, this is like, this has become a lot more pressing recently, hasn't it? With everybody under the same roof. I mean, uh, any advice on, on, on dealing with that? 
I actually think boundaries are difficult right now, <laughs> especially like, I don't know about you, mm-hmm. my family's like, oh, we should talk all the time, you know, and it's funny right. like, when, <laughs> when you do work at home, you, you're already, you, you have your thing, like we do stuff like this, we do podcasts and we do Zoom calls and things. And then suddenly there's people that you wouldn't normally be talking to every day who want to talk to you all the time. And, yeah. and like my dad, my dad was like, oh, can we just chat? I'm like, dad, it's half past 10 on a Thursday morning. I'm at work. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, I've had friends who are absolutely astonished to find that to I'm find you're actually but working. It's Monday, but it's work time. It's, but what? <laughs> but um, no, obviously, hopefully this will be short-lived. So hopefully that won't carry on. But in terms of setting boundaries now, it's about setting them with yourself. So for example, so, I mean, social media is a classic one, right? It's kind of, oh, I must do social media, blah, blah, blah. But you have to say, you don't have to say no, but you just set your boundaries around your time. So if your number one goal is to finish that book or whatever your your painting or your creative project, then you get up and you do that. You spend some time on that. And then maybe you have your half an hour on social media or whatever. So setting boundaries around your time is really important. And then the saying no, I feel it really depends. Like I used to feel a lot I used to say yes to a lot more stuff. And now my default is no, but I also have an assistant. And if I feel I can't say no, I'll send her the email so she can say no, which mm-hmm. really helps because <laughs> sometimes it's it's very difficult to say no. So what can you put in place that will help right. you say no? Is it a I mean, you don't need an actual assistant. You could make one up. You could just sign your email, have an email signature from your assistant. (laughs) Don't tell anyone. (laughs) Um, But, you know, stuff like that can really help. Um, Also, just making it very clear, like we said, what time you're available. So you and I both when we're sorting out an interview like this, like we're friends, we, we, we see each other in real life. Uh, but when we're doing professional interviews like this, both you and I work during the day. And so we do these interviews later when we've finished our creative work. Um, the other thing is uh, the to-do list. I mean, my to-do list is so long. I use the Things app, which I love. Um, but I am frequently now, when things pop up on it, I will look at it and go, no, I'm not even going to do that. (laughs) I'm just going to not do that because I don't have enough time to spend like four hours editing my novel and fulfill the creative work that I love. For example, podcasting for both you and I is part of our creative body of work. So today is my podcast day uh, as we record this. And that is important to me. It's important for my creativity, but also for my community and for my income, because it's an important part of my business. So those are the things that have to happen. And the things that have not happened today are posting a picture on Instagram or (laughs) replying Mm -hmm. to comments on Facebook. Those have not happened. They won't be happening today. So setting those boundaries around what's really important will make it, make sure that you get the important stuff done uh, in a day, in a week, in a year. And if you don't make those boundaries every day, then you are going to end up looking back at 2020 or 20, whenever you're listening to this and going, what, what did I actually do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's those little decisions that have the big knock on effect. Mm. So, um, clearly Joe, you have been making the right kind of decisions because you have not one, but two nonfiction books 
out since the last time we spoke, um, not to mention your fiction output. So clearly the productivity advice works, folks. So <laughs> I would take a look at, at productivity for authors. But maybe now we could move on and think about audio for authors, which is quite an unusual topic to pick. And again, you know, you wrote and published this in the innocent world before lockdown. So what motivated you to write a book about audio? And how important do you think audio is going to be for us uh, creators specifically in the new circumstances that we're all facing? Mm. Well, I think the reason I created the book is because my brother, uh, who's a photographer, um, wonderfully creative guy, uh, phoned me and said, I'm going to do a podcast. Do you know anything about that? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh my goodness, there are so many things I need to tell him. And he's not going to listen because he's my brother. And that's what happens with family, right? I could tell him a few yeah. things, but what would, yeah. would be great if I just had a book that I could send him. So uh, because I realized that there's so much stuff that we learn, a bit like writing, you know, or, or whatever. We learn this stuff. And then when someone asks us how to do it, <laughs> we realize it's a lot more uh, in depth. Than, than it might be. And then I've also been working on voice narration. I narrate, uh, in fact, both of these audio books I narrate. Uh, not this fast, I should say. I'm speaking quite fast today. <laughs> but um, I, I think what happened, it was this uh, confluence of, of things. Also, 2019, I went to Podcast Movement in Orlando, and they, they mentioned the kind of tipping point around audio how people know about podcasts, they're listening to audiobooks, double digit growth year on year for seven years for audiobooks. And now, as you mentioned, with the pandemic, audio had a little dip uh, when the lockdown first started because people stopped commuting. So that was really interesting. So the, uh, okay. the commute right. was one of the places that people listen. But what's happened is it has suddenly ramped up because the dip was due to existing listeners not listening because they weren't commuting. But what we've had is a, a now a growth phase, especially in audiobooks, because people have discovered digital library apps um, like Hoopla and whatever your library is, they possibly have an, an app. Uh, so they can get audiobooks for free at the library. They can get ebooks for free through the library app. And also, um, obviously, books on digital audio and ebooks are downloadable. And so people are now listening lots. They're also a great way to escape and, um, and learn as well. So a lot of podcasts about um, COVID-19 and about dealing with stress and all of this type of thing, there's a lot of uptick in that area. So what has, what's interesting is there was a tipping point in 2019 where over 50% uh, of people in the US over the age of 12 had listened to an audiobook. And who knows what it's going to be in 2020, wow. but it's suddenly, it, so it went mainstream in inverted commas in 2019. But what has now happened uh, is that it's just it exploded. Suddenly, people who would never have listened to digital audio or bought ebooks are suddenly going digital because, you know, it's a, it's a way of consuming story or escaping or information without um, having a physical object that isn't your phone, <laughs> for example. So it, this has become even bigger. And in fact, uh, I seem to remember you saying that you wished you'd done your audiobook before lockdown. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do. But, but also, I'm, I'm actually, I'm one of those people who started listening to audiobooks in the last year. Wow, and there I we think go. It was probably you prompting me, and I thought, I'll give it a go. Or I think I got an Amazon token, so I thought, I'll give it a go. 
And suddenly I realized, oh, I've got all this reading time opening up for me. Because that was one of the things I'd realized. I, I did want more reading time in my day and my week. And with an audio book, you, you can get it, you know, while you're out and about cleaning up the kitchen or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, I, and I'm really now, I'm, I'm a bit of an evangelist for audiobooks. So I guess I should get on and do mine, shouldn't I? Yeah, fantastic. And that is exactly, you know, one of the power of audio things is that you can do other stuff while you're um, listening. So for example, and this is a total lockdown activity. I painted one of the doors inside our house because it needed <laughs> repainting. Like I don't paint doors. I, it's not something I do. And I listened uh, to an audiobook while I was doing it and the coat different coats and all that and DIY is something that lots of people are doing and so listening then you know I listen when I'm cooking and the other thing is I mean you listen to to podcasts but what happens with podcasts I find and this is why the audio ecosystem is so important if I listen to a podcast on a topic then I'm sometimes I want to know more and I want I click my um, app my audible app to go see if they've got a book on it because I want to go deeper and so this is how I want people listening to think about it is, um, you know, if you're using podcasting as part of your marketing, going on other people's podcasts, or if even if you have your own, then you need somewhere for them to go next. And someone who consumes audio is someone who potentially also reads on audio. So you need to offer them an, an audio product. And audiobook is obviously the first step on that audio product, then it, there might be an audio course or whatever. But doing an, an, an audio product means that you have another way to, I guess, monetize that you might not have already. And kind of circling back to, you know, the, the creative, uh, audio as a creative medium, because I mean, you've been podcasting since what, 2009? Yes. <laughs> as well as writing. So, but I mean, as a creator, what would you say, what is special about audio? What can you do with it that you can't do with other media? Well, first of all, there's that connection. If you're doing your own audio, I know not everyone will do their own, but if you do it like us now, we're in people's heads and we, you know, this is a sort of extemporaneous conversation. So you're, you're listening in on a chat between two friends about stuff and that can be very personal. That is a way to connect. And let's face it, the the world is busy <laughs> and any way that mm-hmm. you can connect in a more personal way is a really good thing. So that's, I guess that's partly marketing, but on the creative side, for me, my podcast, as you say, I've been doing it for over a decade is part of my body of work. And I've actually reached more people through my podcast. I've reached, um, 222 countries with my podcast. Uh, and, uh, I've wow. sold books in 136 countries, but still I've reached more people mm-hmm. with my voice than I have with my books. There are lots of people who are never going to read your book, or maybe you're a a painter or jewelry maker, whatever you do, you know, you're not going to reach everyone with your creative product, but audio can be another form of creative product that literally has no borders, even borders imposed by pandemics. (laughs) I mean, you know, audio crosses borders. And even if you license your creative uh, other work, um, you know, audio can be a way to, to cross those boundaries. Also, I feel like creating for audio first is a different thing. So my books and travel podcast, for example, these are episodes that exist in audio that don't exist in another way. Uh, They are things 
that are unique in the world, we're not going to turn this conversation into a book <laughs> or anything else. This, <laughs> this exists as it does like this. And yeah. so um, I also think that we can create different things. So uh, audio drama, for example, I listen to quite a lot now. As you get into audiobooks, you'll find that you kind of move into some audio dramas, which are quite different, you know, performances, basically. And going back to the old days of, of radio, you know, dramas where you're listening and there's, there's people acting and different voices and a, and a soundscape. You can create different experiences with audio than you can with just reading words from a page. Uh, so I think the audiobook experience can now be quite different with audio drama and people are starting to come up with other things. So, uh, for example, a sort of, I could, well, books and travel is almost the research behind my fiction. So it's a different, different product that supports your creative work. Uh, and also I'd say I've, I think I am becoming a better writer because I'm writing for the ear which, I mean, you're a poet, you understand rhythm and, and the sound of words. But, um, you know, I write thrillers. Usually that's less important. But by, by realising the sound that it makes in someone's head, I'm yeah. choosing different words than I used to do. And I'm working with a thesaurus a lot more than I used to because I'm trying to make sure that my sounds are different on the ear um, over time. So I, I just think audio has so many possibilities. It's just a medium that you can create in. And if I'm listening to this and I think, well, I'm not a writer, maybe I'm a painter or a performer or, or another kind of creative. Have you got any ideas of things that I might create? Because clearly I'm, I'm probably not going to do an audio book, at least not straight away. Mm. Well, I mean, this is a conversation podcast, for example. That's that's definitely something that's possible. I mean, if you are a physical, uh, if you're a physical artist, so let's say you are a, a painter, you can still talk about your creative process. You can still have, um, you know, pictures on your website, or you can interview other artists. You can, you know, create. Uh, an audio narrative around your work and your life. You could, I mean, when we're talking about audio, you can talk about video as well. So many podcasters, for example, mm -hmm. will have a show on YouTube um, or a video show that they then also publish a, a podcast feed on. But, you know, there are questions that are similar for all of us as creatives. You know, <laughs> we all get it. Where do you get your ideas from? <laughs> this, is, this is something right. that is true for any creative any person you know in general but a creative so if you're a painter where did you get the idea for that uh, particular painting from why do you choose that medium why do you choose watercolor um who are your favorite you know artists uh, all these types of things are the same and so if you wanted to do a podcast and you are a physical artist then um an artist what, what do you call that like <laughs> <laughs> an artist making physical things in the world as opposed to like words yeah an art an artist making stuff i think yeah. is, the, is the technical making, term yeah making stuff <laughs> yeah then think about what are the questions that people who might be interested in your work would love i mean like i'm right now i'm looking i have a painting on my wall which is kind of the the, the muse that i bought years ago by an artist called uh Jekoslav nemesh and uh, I, I look at this painting every day and it, it, it's my, my muse painting. And I would love to know 
where the story behind this painting. And I mean, especially on, on audio, you can put extra images into, you know, certainly in an audio book, there's a downloadable thing, or you just have an easy to say URL where people can go and have a look at the picture if they want to. But I think what I want to encourage people is how can you reach the people who listen rather than read? I don't read blogs anymore. I haven't read, read blogs for years now. I listen to podcasts. I do read books. I have a lot of, um, a lot of books, but I listen to audiobooks a lot. So if you want to reach me with your paintings, it would be best for you to go on a podcast <laughs> because then I might right. find out about you. So, yeah. and then your call to action is, you know, come and have a look at my online portfolio uh, at X website. And so you're, what you have to think about is this audio ecosystem, a group of people who are growing all the time, who discover the world through listening. And what I think is that this will grow out of the experience uh, of of the pandemic as more people discover it. So, uh, yeah, I, th I think we'll see a lot more. Okay, great. And, and I would in really encourage you, if you're listening to this podcast, you're kind of proof of this concept that you know, this show is basically based on me asking questions of different types of creative, not all of whom are writers, about what they do and how they do it and what the process is. And you may not realize, if you do something creative, you may not realize how fascinating that is to people on the outside of that. And also, as Joe says, it's, it's beyond boundaries. You can reach people and you reach people. I think it's a real privilege about audio is that you reach people in their private time, you know, when they are, when mm. they were commuting or when they're painting their door or cooking dinner or, or whatever it may be. Um, and it can be a very powerful connection you get in that, in that intimate space. So, okay, maybe if I'm listening to this, Joe, then maybe you have sold me on the eye. The concept of doing audio I can say, yes, it, I can reach people I wouldn't reach otherwise. I can get out there and have a direct connection with an audience. But it feels a bit scary. I mean, maybe I, I, what microphone do I get? And my, my, I hate the sound of my voice. And I always get nervous when I'm speaking in public. And, you know, what, what can you say to me to encourage me to get over these fears, Joe? Oh, it's tough. I mean, again, you and I are professional speakers and it's sort of the number one thing is it's not about you. <laughs> it's about the audience. Yeah. And uh, so that's one thing. And it, look, literally with uh, audio, if people don't like our voices, then they've turned off by now. I mean, presumably they like your voice because you, you, this is your podcast, <laughs> but maybe they don't like mine. So they've just gone away and you can't hide that. You can't change that. You just have to be you. You literally just have to be you. And, yeah. and you, the great thing is you will turn off people very quickly and they will just go away. But the people who stay, they become very loyal. I mean, I have a, a Patreon that, you know, my podcast is free, the Creative Pen podcast, but people pay because they want me to keep doing it and support my creative work. And that's just incredibly powerful. And that's because you're in their head for, you know, an, an hour a week or, or whatever. So think about it as uh, how can I serve the audience I want to reach? How can I best serve those people and uh, reach them with something with audio 
that works for them, but also that I enjoy. So uh, I, you know, I love podcasting. You and I both enjoy it and enjoy the the process of of creating it and meeting people this way. But let's that's the creative side, uh, getting over it from that angle. The other way to get over it is to think, how does this support my creative business? <laughs> so if you mm-hmm. are going to get into audio, how could you monetize it? And the, obviously, the first thing is uh, marketing. As we talked about with the painter, you have a call to action and you make sure you, if you go on an interview, you aim for that call to action at some point. Uh, You can also um, make money through Patreon, like I said, advertising. If you have a popular podcast, you can promote your own products and services and creative work. You can um, meet other people like you and I, we met doing like online audio before we met in person. We did, didn't we? It was because you you invited me on your show years ago. Yes. And that was how and you were in Australia then, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, so that's how yeah, we met. Yeah, that's how we became friends, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of crazy. <laughs> yes, we've been living just down the road from each other. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you're not able to go out and meet up. It's, it's a funny old world, isn't it? It is. But that's the thing. The relationships that you can make through having a chat like this on a podcast, they can be valuable for business too over time. And uh, so I would say if you are scared, it is scary. It's totally scary. Like, for example, I'm really thinking about doing more live video, which scares the hell out of me because mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, but I think if we're going to be in this world where we're not going to be traveling so much for a while, I need to have my face there too. So I love audio, but equally I need to put my face out a bit and do like 10 minutes of live video a week or something that is scary but I know that it supports my community it supports my business it helps my audience and uh and challenge again circling back to where we were at the beginning around the challenge of the pandemic and how we're adjusting anything that pushes us out of our comfort zone is a good idea if it's going to serve your ultimate goal and so I think this is really important. So what scares you about audio and what will make it worthwhile for you? And then you've got to, you probably need to upskill, um, you know, practice doing this kind of thing. Go on some smaller podcasts first. That's always a good idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and just, you know, give it a go because you don't know how successful it's going to be. And when I started the Creative Pen podcast, phoning someone up on a handset and holding a little recorder next to it, I mean, literally, that's what I did really? back in 2009. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I had no clue that I would end up a decade later, you know, with a podcast that underpins my business and makes good money as well as building a community so you just don't know where this may take you and you might love it which would be awesome i I would absolutely second this on two fronts one is the connections the new friends that i'm making through the show um and also you know getting into discussion with with people professionally as well uh, now I've got something if i if I see somebody I love their work, I can reach out and invite them on the show and and we start a relationship and you never know where that could go and then the other thing is you know it's scary for all of us I mean Joe, you're finding new ways to scare yourself by doing live videos. I'm starting recording poetry and putting that out there, which I feel is much more exciting but also much more scary and personal to put that out there so it's it is scary and, and like anything creative it's it's kind of supposed to be scary if it's going to be exciting 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I, I think that those relationships are really important. Also, when you do interviews like this, you can actually learn something yourself that can change your world. So, you know, when you came on my show a few weeks ago, you really helped me. And we could have had that conversation offline, but we did it online. And I think it helps when I feel that I'm serving my audience with my questions, but then I learn as well. So even today, I interviewed um, a guy called Will Store about the science of storytelling. And in that discussion, I had an aha moment that I've read his book, I've listened to his audiobook, but in talking yeah. to him and asking questions, I had that aha moment that made everything hang together really well. And that and that's just brilliant. That happens, it doesn't happen every interview, to be fair, but it happens often enough that it makes the curiosity about other people, it makes it really worthwhile. So, so let's come back to curiosity because it's it underpins our creativity. We're curious as to see how something's going to turn out. So, and let's try and be playful about it as well, because people are very forgiving uh, about all. Audio, <laughs> they'll get the gist of our, you know, conversation uh, without it being completely organised. You know, that can become across as quite stilted if you try and read from something on a podcast. But being this sort of natural, playful, curious—that's the attitude I think to go in with. And talking of curiosity, you have a very interesting final section of the book, Audio for Authors, which is all about audio technology and weird stuff like. AI and dictation and, and so on. Can, and it really, I really feel like, as always, you're leaning into the future, Joe. You're there ahead of the rest of us. And I get a real sense in this section that you're starting to explore some creative possibilities that are really only just starting to open up for us. So can you say a, a little bit about the audio technologies in, in the final third of the book and what are the creative opportunities that they're opening up for us? Of course. Well, first of all, the um, voice first movement has been talking about, you know, things like smart speakers, assistants on your phone, even voice search. If you say, you know, um, hey, Google, you know, find me the nearest restaurant, Chinese restaurant or something, or and I, I won't talk to my watch right now. But, you know, I'm, I, I ask my watch about the weather and, and that kind of thing. So we're starting to interact with devices with voice. And this is another thing the pandemic will change. Everybody thought, we would be in a touch world, a touch first world. You know, you, you could you can go to, I don't know how this will change, just a thought. You can go to McDonald's and use a touch screen to order your burger. How is that going to change out of COVID? Is, is are we suddenly, <laughs> I mean, people are not going to be doing Whoa. that. <laughs> so, you know, I think we might even move faster towards voice first because of the fact that right. touch yeah, is yeah. going to be, um, you know, not socially acceptable <laughs> to be doing that. So this is this is a really interesting time for that voice idea. So think about um, people listening, even if you don't have a smartwatch or you don't talk to your phone like that, your, your assistant, this stuff is coming. And, uh, you know, thinking about people being in their car again, it's much safer to, to use voice assistants. So that's one side. Then the artificial intelligence is fascinating. So voice synthesis, which is um, there are tools right now where you and I, we both have voice recordings um, that we can feed to an AI and the AI will then speak in our voice. And I actually have a voice double 
I link to it in the book <laughs> and uh, and I am talking um <laughs> yeah I, I already have a voice double and I've played it on my podcast and uh you know it, it, I can create I use a platform called descript.com it's brilliant if you're podcasting oh, yeah, or yeah, narrating yeah. or dictating it's fantastic but yeah descript.com you can um uh, it's still in beta for the voice double but these are things that are happening this year so at the London Book Fair which didn't happen in 2020 but some mm-hmm. of the press releases still went out the first audiobook created with an AI voice is now for sale on various platforms and um, that uh, so that's that's happened also AI voices are becoming more human so people are like oh but it sounds like a robot partly they want it to sound like a robot because it, it is disingenuous to have a voice that is more human but uh, again what we're seeing now is um you know alexa and various devices are getting more and more human siri and and all of that so you can choose different voices my husband has um an indian british voice for his uh for his siri voice which is just lovely and so you can choose all these different voices but you can also uh create your own and in fact baidu which is a chinese uh technology they only need 3.7 seconds of audio to clone a voice so you don't even i know so you don't even need to have hours and hours of work like we do so Oh, I should say the company with that um, audio book is called deepzen.io, if people are interested. So what we've also got now is a, a, we already have voices that are from famous people. We have the deep fakes, um, which, you know, we, we've seen Zuckerberg and Trump and Boris Johnson and things uh, during the, the elections and stuff like that. But we, so we're going to see negative stuff, but we've also got positive stuff. So audiobooks will boom even further as costs come down if they're AI narrated. And if people are worried, I'm not worried. I see it as a bit like physical books or products, or let's say, again, you're an artist, so you do a painting. Someone can buy that one painting, but maybe you also do prints of that painting. You take a photo and then create limited edition prints. So that's two different products. Same with books. I think that AI narration will be a cheaper product. And then you could have human narration is your premium, higher priced product. And I think there'll be a place for everything. But what it also means is if I want to write an audio drama, instead of having to hire a whole load of actors, I could use different uh, AI voices. Yeah, to do an audio drama. How cool would that be? Uh, Which is which is great. And the other thing I expect to happen is if you buy my audio book, let's say you buy my audio book, audio for authors, but you don't want to listen to me read it, you should be able to in the future switch it out for Mark's voice, (laughs) for your voice, Um, and you could (laughs) read my book. (laughs) Yeah, because why not? Why should what? And well, I get annoyed because I always have to listen to. Uh, non-fiction business books they're usually an american male voice but i would rather have a british female voice why can't i just press a button on my phone and change the voice like i can do with um siri or alexa so all of these things i think are are coming that's great in fact only this week i went to check out an audiobook by an author i won't say who it was and the author's a man and i've heard his voice quite a lot and I was kind of looking forward to that. And they'd recorded it with a female voice. And 
I've got nothing against female voice in general. It's, you know, it's, it's great. But it was just so jarring to have this author whose voice I knew read by a woman that I thought, mm, maybe I'll get that next week. <laughs> or maybe you won't listen. Well, maybe I won't because it's just such a, I, I don't know what the publisher were thinking of. But in this brave new world, I could I could just flip over to the voice synth of said author's book and they probably they would have got the sale. Exactly. And that's why I think like people are worried about this, you know, robots taking our jobs, which again will accelerate with the pandemic. But this is an example where I think we could license our voices, we could do micropayments for licensing voice. And also, I think it will sell more audio, because you would have bought that immediately if you could have swapped the voice. Or, you know, I've listened to some and just thought, oh, my goodness, this is just terrible. And I would just love to switch the voice to something else. And then I I would have listened because yeah. I wanted the content. So this is this is the thing. I, I think what we're moving into is a world where this type of stuff becomes much easier uh, and more more. Um, I guess more cost effective. Certainly, where you know the price of publishing as we know, has, has come right down the price of podcasting. This is a radio show that you're doing from your house. And the, the price of this type of thing, of, of AI, is going to come down so much that it will be easier for people to create. And what I would sort of final word on this, the, the important thing is to build a brand so that people want your work. And this is why I want to license my voice. I want you to want to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> like the voice of big brother, big sister. <laughs> yeah, big sister. But if I become, you know, this is the thing, this shift is happening. This has already happened. And the difficult thing about the book was, of course, I published it. And as soon as I published it, other things happened because that's the what's happening yeah. with AI. It moves so fast. But I wanted to just give um, an example, but it was literally three weeks later, the first audiobook was released, narrated by, by an AI. And this is fascinating and will continue to, to grow. I think the problem is that publishing contracts often don't uh, accept this type of thing and audiobook copyright law is is not clear on this so we are going to go through an interesting time but I believe that people will be using licensed um, AI voices to do audiobooks pretty soon. Joanna whenever I hear you talking about the future like this I find it a mind-boggling and slightly unsettling but also a really exciting prospect. So thank you for opening our eyes and, and indeed our ears to things to come. So if we can come right back to the present for the moment and indeed the very near future for our, our listeners, it's time for the creative challenge, which if you're new to the show, this is the part of the interview where I ask my guest to set you, the listener, a creative challenge, something that you can do within seven days of listening to this conversation that will stretch you creatively and probably as a person as well. So, Joe, what is your creative challenge? Okay, so your challenge, if you choose to accept it, <laughs> is to record your voice this week. So uh, you can use your phone, you can, uh, there's free software on the internet, Audacity, so you actually have no excuse. There, there are lots of ways you can record your voice. And I want you to answer the question, where do you get your ideas? And just talk, like no one needs to hear this, this is just you. 
and you're going to record that. And then, yes, you are going to have to listen back to it and sit there and cringe and just feel the pain (laughs) or realize that it wasn't that bad, which I I hope is is what you're going to get. I think that's brilliant, Joe, because that's uh, that is a real hurdle for a lot of people. The first time you hear your voice, because for physiological reasons, it sounds different to the way you hear it yourself from inside your skull, um, is a really a lot of people find it a really unpleasant experience, don't they? So this will oh, help them get over that. Um, <laughs> okay, brilliant. So so do that. And if you're feeling extra specially brave, then maybe you could go and post it online and leave a comment in the show notes. Um, we would love to hear that. In fact, it would probably be very interesting. So if you go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash audio challenge, I'll make sure that links to Joe's interview and you can leave a comment with a a link to your, you know, the audio if you've uploaded it somewhere. Oh, that is a good idea. And in fact, you could use a service like SoundCloud. Um, um, there are a lot yeah. of places you can, I mean, you could, you know, you can even do it like, you, if you want to do video, you can do it on Instagram or you can do it on whatever you like. But no, that's that's great. So that's another step of the challenge is posting it online. So even if you don't go that far, maybe leave a comment to how it felt to do it privately. Yeah, that would be great. And honestly, it would, it would be so nice to listen to our listeners, wouldn't it, Joe? Yeah, it'd be great. All right. So, Joanna, thank you so much. As always, you are a fount of enthusiasm and ideas and new technology and and exciting vistas opening up. Where should people go to find out? I mean, obviously, there's the new books. There's Productivity for Authors and Audio for Authors, which will be available from all good bookshops uh, that are currently open. (laughs) Um, Where else should people go to connect with you and, and, and find out more about your work? Well, uh, you guys obviously love love podcasts, so come along to The Creative Pen Podcast, or my other show is Books and Travel Podcast, and everything else is at thecreativepen.com, pen with a double N, and lots of lots of free stuff if you want to write books, publish books, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And just to give another little endorsement, Joanna's podcast, The Creative Pen, was, was one of the shows that inspired me to start podcasting. So if you like this one, then I do encourage you to go and check out Joe's. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Mark. That was great fun. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Joe. You have been listening to the 21st Century Creative, hosted by Mark McGuinness. You can find the notes for today's show, as well as all the backlist episodes of the podcast, at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. If you enjoyed the show, then I hope you'll subscribe in iTunes, and I'm always grateful for your reviews, and also for sharing the show with your friends and followers. If you'd like my help applying the ideas in the show to your own situation, you're welcome to join us in the 21st Century Creative Patreon group at patreon.com slash the 21st Century Creative. And if you are an experienced creative and you're curious about getting my help as a private coaching client, then the first step is to go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash coaching questions and answer the questions on that page and I'll be in touch with you as soon as I've reviewed your answers. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again soon.